What tends to happen in a recession? The people who are laid off found it very difficult to get jobs again. It's much better for them to borrow the money and to try to maintain the economy than to let the economy collapse. What a disruption like this can do is to really bring about very sharp changes in the economy, particularly if it goes on for a long time. Welcome to CQ University Commentary, the podcast bringing you our experts to explore and dissect issues that affect you, your family and your community. Subscribe now so you don't miss an episode and join the conversation on CQ University social media. This episode was recorded during the global coronavirus outbreak. As a result, CQ University has dedicated the first season of this podcast to focus on conversations about the issues from COVID-19 that you may not have considered, but are still changing the world we live in today. In following social distancing advice from the government, our interviewers and experts conducted these conversations remotely, so you may experience a lower quality of audio recording. Visit the CQ University website for more information on our response to COVID-19 and advice for students and staff. A total of $189 billion has so far been injected into the economy by all arms of government in order to keep Australians in work and businesses in business. This has been described as unprecedented action. Today, I'm joined by economist Professor John Rolfe, who will discuss with me the Australian government's stimulus package, which has been delivered in response to COVID-19. Thanks for joining me, John. Very happy to be here. Now, can you please tell me why these extraordinary measures have been taken by the Australian government? Well, essentially, COVID-19 has stopped economic activity in some of our key sectors, such as tourism, airlines and hospitality. And these, these these are significant sectors in our economy. And then in response to try to control COVID-19, the government has essentially shut down other sectors of the economy. Now, that's particularly entertainment and arts, um, which is allied with the tourism sector, and a lot of the personal services areas, such as gyms and, and other close contact things, that are another significant part of the economy. Now, the, the big problem is that then people uh, don't spend as much money. So these reductions in activity then flow through to other sectors of the economy, particularly retail and other services areas. So what the government's doing is they injecting money um, both directly to people who have lost their jobs or unemployment or through to businesses or indirectly through the Reserve Bank uh, rate cuts with the idea of making sure that cash still flows in the economy and stopping it from contracting even further, which is what would happen if the current cuts um, flow through to other parts of the economy. Okay. And what does this mean for the Australian economy as a whole? Uh, It's a lot of money being injected. Do you think it will have a a long-term impact or is this only for the short term? Well, it's a it's a big question. So roughly about a quarter of the Australian economy is currently under a lot of stress. So tourism, for instance, is an important primary sector in the economy and with its direct and indirect impacts relates or accounts for about 8% of the Australian economy um, with airlines, hospitality, 
entertainment and arts and personal services, we get up to around about 22, 23% of the economy. So those are the sectors that are most under risk. And what the government's trying to do is to make sure that, that there's some activity keeps ticking over there. There'll still be impacts on retail and, and the services sector because they're such big sectors in the economy. But with a bit of um, uh, careful stimulus, those sectors will, will basically have a holiday and then be able to come back once uh, the control measures are over. The difficulty in, in making predictions, though, is it's hard to know how long the control measures will be in place. So if this was something that went for a month or two months, it'd be like a long Christmas holiday and it'd hurt, but people would come back and business would resume as normal. Mm -hmm. If it's a six-month period where we've got a huge disruption lot of control over over people movement and and not so much business travel then i think the impacts will be longer and deeper and of course if it goes longer than six months if it's a more like a 12-month problem then it'll have a really big impact on the economy okay um talking you know long term um i guess does the Australian government have the money behind them to be able to continue this sort of um, injection of cash? Well, the answer to that is no, but the, the alternative is worse. Okay. What they're doing is essentially borrowing the money and it's much better for them to borrow the money and to try to maintain the economy than to let the economy collapse. Because if the economy collapses, it's also a terrible position for government because um, a, a smaller economy reduces the ability to collect taxes and to generate wealth. And it would also, of course, increase the demands on government to deal with people and businesses who are in trouble. So by maintaining the economy and, and pouring the stimulus money in to do that, it's like an insurance policy um, against a much worse outcome. Okay. And, you know, hypothetically speaking, when things do go back to normal, um, how will we go about paying back any deficits? Well, this is certainly going to be a huge hit. So the government's mm -hmm. basically going to, to borrow the money or, or, or in effect, borrow the money internally. Um, to be able to pay for the stimulus. Um, I think in you know the next 10 years, it will hurt a bit. It will slow down what we would have been able to achieve otherwise. But yep. probably after eight to 10 years, um, it'll be a distant memory. Okay. Well, that's, that's good news. <laughs> so with uh, the sectors that you were mentioning before, those who um, are struggling at the moment more than others, how is this money from the Australian government going to help um, during these tough times? The money is is designed to help in different ways. I, I think the most important um, stimulus is paying businesses to keep on workforce, so trying okay. to maintain workforce. And that's actually really important because what tends to happen in a recession, a recession is something that goes for usually two quarters, um, so six months. People get laid off and their experience from the 1992-93 recession 
was that the people who were laid off found it very difficult to get jobs again. So the, when the economy regrew, people didn't get back into the workforce. Um, so what the government's trying to do here is trying to maintain people in the workforce so that uh, it will recover quickly and there won't be the, the huge personal impacts that we often do see in a, in a recession period. Okay. And in your opinion, can you compare what's happening right now to anything that you've personally seen before or something that's well documented, um, you know, in Australian history? Well, medically, of course, this is similar to the Spanish flu, uh, but also was addressed by um, some types of restrictions about people movement, trying to um, limit the transmission vector, but of course, without the big economic restrictions. So people kept working uh, in the Spanish flu uh, influenza. The, probably the most similar in my lifetime has been the global financial crisis of 2008. That was very different though. So in essence, that's what I call a top-down problem. So the financial system um, became uh, unstable because of some poorer lending practices. There was a collapse of a bank in America and and then it spread from there. And a lot of bad debts in the system came to light. And that sort of impacted on on global trade and, and financial uh, institutions. This is very much a bottom-up problem. So what's happening is that there are restrictions uh, on people movement, and that's stopping people from spending. So it's very much a bottom-up, both consumer demand and uh, and a business operational type of a problem, mostly small businesses like coffee shops and gyms. And that, of course, is impacting on employment. And because it's affecting so many sectors, it's becoming a, you know, it's a huge economic problem at the Australian level. Okay. And just completely left of field. You mentioned the supplier demand, uh, you know, with physical transactions. What about the boom of online purchasing? Is there a positive in that, in that money's still being injected, but it's now being done via online means? <laughs> there are some positives in the tea leaves here. So, mm-hmm. Because we have so much technology in our society, um, because we have so many good systems, we have um, uh, a a very efficient healthcare sector, we've got a lot of things that are working for us and allowing a lot of um, economic functions to operate even while we're trying to keep people apart. So so this is a virus or, or a medical problem that we've coped much better with than we would have been able to 10 or 15 years ago. Okay. The interesting thing, though, is what happens now. So over time, economies always restructure. That's an automatic process going on. In the last um, two to three decades, we've become much richer in Australia and we've seen people start to spend a lot more on on. Um, travel, for instance, on personal services. You see a lot more um, growth of the coffee culture, of gyms and those sort of things that were unknown, you know, two or three decades ago. Mm -hmm. We've also seen a lot more uh, technology creep into uh, our economy, into different sectors of the economy. So these are some of the changes that have been occurring. What um, a disruption like this can do is to really bring about very 
sharp changes in the economy, particularly if it goes on for a long time. So, so if we have a six-month or a longer shutdown, some of the businesses that have closed probably won't reopen. Mm-hmm. Um, and what will happen is that the businesses that do well in the future will be able will be doing different things. So, I would think, for instance, that there's potential for domestic tourism to become stronger in Australia because international tourism may be less attractive for a while. Um, I expect that technology will become much more important in a lot of sectors. So we've seen technology come into things like um, uh, like like airlines and, uh, and mining and those sort of areas, but we haven't seen much technology come into, say, the health sector in terms of if you go to the health sector, you always see a doctor and a nurse. Um, you see, you deal with people all the time. Potentially, we will see a lot more technology bringing um, automation into the health sector in the same way we've seen it happen in banking, and it will be the same in a lot of business sectors. So this sort of crisis will focus businesses on ways of using technology to allow interactions to occur without so much face-to-face contact. And I would expect that this might be a really big um, game changer in the way we do business. So innovation is on its way. What tends to happen is that when you get major disruptions in the world, like, like world wars or anything that really impacts, people come up with really smart ways of, of doing things better Enjoying this episode? Subscribe to Seek University Commentary on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for more. And remember to rate, review, and share. It's called the the burning bridge syndrome. So what the burning bridge syndrome means that when you're desperate um, to achieve something or to make something work, you come up with really novel solutions and you don't do it when, when times are good. So so tough times bring out really novel and better ways of doing things. And I think at the moment, a lot of businesses are trying to service consumers or trying to do things at a distance and finding new ways of doing it. And those patterns will probably stay, stay to some extent, even when business becomes normal again. Okay. So, for example, you know, those businesses who are now delving into the uh, delivery sort of takeaway options that they probably never thought about using before, um, you know, we've transitioned to online teaching to continue our services to students. Uh, you know, do you have any other examples um, that you've seen recently? Well, I think education's an area where there's a huge scope um, for potential change. So we still have a model that if you're under 17, if you're a primary, secondary school, you you have face-to-face teaching. And in universities, we have a bit of a mixed uh, approach. So, so up until now, some of the sandstone universities in the capital cities have really focused still on face-to-face teaching, whereas a lot of the others have experimented or become much better at more uh, electronic and, and other delivery mechanisms. And the question is, now that we are all moving to, to virtual delivery, uh, 
will this change education, particularly higher education forever? Um, will it also start to change secondary education a little bit? And we start to see much more flexible systems coming in. Uh, and of course, if you get virtual delivery and you have, you don't need so much face-to-face -face contact, suddenly it allows much more efficiencies in the way you deliver as well. So perhaps we could have one teacher servicing um, 60 secondary school students. We could have one university lecturer servicing 200 um, undergraduate students. So the, the implications out of this may shake up our school sector and our higher education sector over the next 20 years. Now, back to um, the stimulus package, we've got the Australian government who's delivered phase one and phase two. Mm -hmm. yeah. What do you expect um, phase three to look like? I think the there's a couple of groups that are still probably not very well captured. So, so big business is going to be the, probably the next big focus of of issues. So, so okay. big business includes, say, airlines. So phase one and phase two help a little bit for the airlines, but but in reality, we've got a couple of sectors of the economy um, where there's almost no activity at all. And uh, essentially, businesses in Australia are very efficient, but they also rely very strongly on cash flow coming through. So okay. if that cash flow falls away, they're in trouble very quickly because the margins are really small. So when you've got small margins, if anything goes wrong, the businesses start to have troubles and things have gone very wrong, so huge troubles. Australia in some ways is lucky because most of the impacts have been on smaller businesses where it's, mm -hmm. it's not so expensive and in some ways easier to help. Um, but but the, there was also a group of bigger businesses, um, airlines, obviously, um, perhaps some of the bigger hotel chains would be another example where they'll be under stress if this goes on for six months. And so I would think that that be what the government's starting to turn their mind to now as to how we can come up with the smarter ways of, of helping them without necessarily taking them over or or necessarily spending heaps of money and subsidising them. Yeah, just um, when you mentioned airlines, it's astonishing how we can have so many airlines um, flying in and out of Australia just at the end of last year compared to how many are currently servicing Australia uh, right now. What sort of economic impact does this have on our, you know, tourism sector, I guess, as a whole. You mentioned, you know, regional tourism. Um, what about Australia as a whole? So the loss of tourism and the and the slowdown in airlines is basically symptomatic of the reduction in tourism and business travel mm -hmm. um, is really, you know, flowing through to the Australian economy. The challenge is going to be trying to predict what's going to happen in the future. One of the the difficulties out of this is that it's not just Australia. It's not a single country issue. Mm -hmm. So trying to understand what the or trying to predict what the global situation will be afterwards is quite tricky. The best guesses at the moment are that some countries are able to will be able to control it and and um, and have a pretty robust economy coming out of it. Mm -hmm. But there may be ongoing 
problems, uh, particularly in some of the developing countries. So okay. I think that that's going to make international travel difficult and, and challenging for a while until there's an effective vaccine. So I would think that the domestic tourism will recover much faster than international tourism. Okay. I also expect that people may not spend as much money on being a tourist anymore, but people will still have money, so they will find other ways of enjoying themselves. So smart businesses will try to find niches of satisfying consumer demands for relaxation um, and perhaps snaffle okay. away some of that tourism dollar. Okay, very interesting. Well, uh, thank you for joining me today, John. You've shared some great insights and I'm sure our listeners are enjoying this as well. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap this one up? Oh, I think these are uh, a challenging times, but the Australian economy is actually a very strong economy. So I think you know, as painful as this is at the moment, it's important to remember that roughly about two thirds of the economy is still ticking over um, as normal, and that um, and while this is ex expensive and painful, it's still a relatively short term problem. So, in five to ten years, I think we'll look back and we'll remember it, but it won't be a huge scar on the landscape. Okay, which is always good to hear. Definitely. It's, it's important <laughs> to get the perspective right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, thank you very much for your time, John. And yeah, I look forward to speaking with you down the track. Stay safe. Yes, thanks, Jess. Mm -hmm. 